welcome to the Serialized Short Story Podcast, Secrets Out, by Christopher Chapman. Secrets Out is performed by the author. You can pre-order Secrets Out as an ebook that will play on Kindle, Nook, Kobo, and any iDevice you can get your hands on by going to goingpostalpublishing.com and clicking on the store link. Listener discretion is advised. There are adult situations, violence, and naughty words your mother wouldn't want you repeating to your neighbor. And now, the story continues. Hello, boys and girls. Welcome to my neighborhood. It is the Going Postal Cast. I am your host, Christopher Chapman. The story is, or the book is, Secrets Out. The story is Fireflies. It has been a whole month since the last story you heard, This one is a wonderful story, in my opinion. I wrote it, so I kind of have a high opinion of it. And this is a story based on basically a tall tale that my uncle told me when I was about seven years old. As with just about every other story idea I ever come up with, it just randomly hits me. Holy cow, this is something I can write about. And this story was born. It comes in at a little over an hour, so we are going to be breaking it up into three parts. So you're going to have something to listen to three out of the next four weeks, but I'm not going to babble on anymore. Let's get into the story. This is part one of Fireflies. Fireflies by Christopher Chapman. Nick Reed didn't want to go. He would have rather been burned repeatedly by the tip of a cigarette than go there, but he didn't have a choice. He was too young to argue and get what he wanted, no matter how hard he tried. Going to his uncle's house in Louisiana for the summer was last on a long list of things he would have wanted to do. He had it good in Wisconsin. The summers were cool, and all of his friends were around. To have to go to a completely different state and spend time with a man that he'd only met a couple dozen times in his 15 years on the planet seemed too horrific to comprehend. He wished that he had somewhere else to go. He had been taken from his home of the last 15 years because of dumb mistakes, but not his mistakes. His parents had always led interesting lives and hung out with some strange people. They had never put Nick into harm's way, but had allowed themselves to get into a lot of trouble. Their problems were mostly with drugs. They'd been doing drugs as long as Nick could remember, even right in front of him. But it wasn't as though he was being coaxed into doing them right along with his parents. If anything, seeing his parents have little power over crack made him want to stay as far away from drugs as possible when he got older. The thing that most people didn't realize was that it wasn't his mother and father who were taking care of him. It was his mother and stepfather. His dad hadn't been in the picture since he was three, although he sent a large check every month that his mother had spent on her habit. The drug bust had been hard. It should have been their normal dealer, a man from Chicago that claimed he could get the best stuff. He didn't show up one week. Another man showed up, knowing all of the information and having all of the tattoos. As the exchange of money and drug took place, the police came in, surrounding them on all sides. Their arrest was immediate, and Nick found himself without a home. His father didn't want him. He was a man who had another family and a lot of money. He wanted to keep those things separate, 
So he was the one that provided the money to make sure he were taken care of after his mother and stepfather went to jail. They were able to post bond, but that was when the Child Protective Services, or CPS, stepped in and made it very clear that Nick wasn't going to be going into the home for a very long time. It would take a miracle for him to be able to live with his mother again. She would have to go through countless hours of therapy once she was freed from jail. She would need to prove that she was a good mother, which would be next to impossible in any court's eyes. Nick was forced to work with CPS, finding places where he could possibly stay. Relatives didn't want much to do with him, even though CPS was going out of their way to try not to force foster care upon him. He was almost old enough to drive, and they were trying to not treat him as if he were seven. Eventually, he found friends that wanted to take him in. At first, CPS tried to resist and go with the foster parent plan instead, but Nick was able to convince his caseworker that it would be okay. He didn't want to be with a foster parent, and they didn't want it either. The last thing they needed to do was figure out what he was going to do for the summer. His mom and stepdad were arrested one week before the end of the school year. His friend, Sean, was going to be away for a large part of the summer with his parents. He was without a place to stay until mid-August. That brought him to his uncle. Uncle Don, who wasn't his actual uncle, but his great-uncle, was the only one that said he could come to stay. He was in his early 80s and lived near the swamps in Louisiana. Nick had never liked him, but it was still better than living with a foster parent. He packed his things, thinking that he was never going to be allowed back in his house, in his room. He didn't know what was going to become of the house or his belongings. For all he knew, they could be sold at auction while he was gone so that his mom could pay her legal bills. They were insisting on fighting the charges against them, which was foolish when he thought about it. They were going to jail, possibly prison. There was little doubt in that, but she was determined to fight it. If she sold his things, it wouldn't be the first time. She'd sold some of his toys when he was nine so that she could get high. She had apologized repeatedly for it for months after the incident, and Nick had forgiven her for it, but there was definitely a pain there that he still felt. It was Nick's first time on an airplane. The only times that he'd met his Uncle Don was when he came to visit. As far as what other family members had said, nobody actually had gone to visit Uncle Don. What he did was a mystery to all of the family members he knew of. His family rarely spoke of him, and when they did it was to mention that he was strange and that nobody knew what he'd been up to for months and years at a time. The flight was scary. Having always been afraid of heights, he clenched his seat tightly as he flew from Wisconsin to Louisiana. He found the courage to look out the window on only a few occasions. Everything, even large cities, looked small from his vantage point. He could see individual people, or at least that's what he thought they were, on the ground. They were tiny dots, smaller than ants, so it was hard to be certain. There was nobody at the airport to greet him after the plane landed. That wasn't surprising. He'd never known any member of his family to be reliable in any way. He sat in the airport for two hours before his uncle sauntered up to him. Uncle Don looked awful. He couldn't have weighed more than 120 pounds with skin that hung from almost every inch of him. He looked like one of those dogs with the wrinkly, funny faces. There was a lot of skin exposed due to the tiny tank top that he wore. His old, wrinkly skin had several marks on it, appearing as if they were scars. 
other marks, tattoos from long ago, looked unrecognizable. Nick, his uncle said as he approached. Brown spittle flew from the side of his mouth. It was obvious that he was still chewing tobacco, even at his advanced age. Hi, Uncle Don, Nick said, trying to be as polite as possible. He tried to look him in the eye, but it was hard to do. Let's get going. I hate these fucking airports. The drive out to his place was long and hot. The sun was high in the sky, beating them relentlessly with heat. Uncle Don drove an old Ford truck with no working air conditioning, so Nick tried to get cool by rolling down the windows with poor results. Even the breeze created by the lowered windows was too hot for him. Tough spot for your mama to put herself in, Don said in his southern drawl. She never knew when to lay off the drugs. I must have told her daddy a hundred times that he needed to do something about that, but he didn't listen to me one bit. After you came along, we all thought that she would give them up to take care of you. That lasted all of nine months, just long enough for her to shit you out. Then she went back to that horrible habit. Kind of sad if you ask me. Nick hadn't heard anybody talk about his mom that way. He wasn't oblivious to what happened in his house. He was aware of what happened and that people didn't think very highly of his mother. But he never heard anybody put it into perspective the way that Uncle Don had. Even if he sounded like he wasn't that smart, his uncle had a way of getting to the point. I never really got to know Grandpa all that well, Nick said, wanting to say something that could help move the conversation along. Your grandfather, my wonderful brother, was a piece of shit too. The only thing he cared about was himself. You forgot half the time that he even had kids. Once in a while he would bring by one of his kids and you would be amazed because you hadn't seen them in years. One second your mother is a baby in a blanket and the next she's eight and talking about how she wants to be one of them dog doctors when she grows up. Nick stared at him for a moment, trying to make sure that he'd heard what he had. My mom wanted to be a veterinarian? Yeah, Don said, drawing out the word a little. She always liked animals. She used to come play in my backyard with all of my animals. I used to have so many animals that she always said I should open a zoo. The problem was that I wanted to eat those animals. I told her that I wasn't going to own me a pig if I wasn't going to eat it. There's nothing better than having ham with a side of bacon. She was there when we killed that pig and made him into dinner. Never seen a little girl cry as much as she did that day. I didn't think she was going to touch her plate, but she ate up heartily after a little fuss. It sounded horrible, but he'd never known his mother to be that way. She had never shown an interest in animals for as long as he could remember. He'd always asked her if they could have a dog, but she always found a reason why to say no. They arrived at his house an hour later. It was a small, rundown house that looked a few decades past its prime. The roof was worn and looked as if it might leak when rain came. There were three visible windows, and they all had boards over them. The foundation was cracked and didn't look as if it would be able to hold the house for many more years. I know it ain't much, but it'll hold up until I die, Don said as if he were reading Nick's mind. I'd put work into it, but that requires money and time that I don't have a lot left of. I don't have too many more years. Why would I waste what little time I have left on something that'll just be torn down the second I'm gone so somebody can build a highway or strip mall? They entered the house and found his room. It was a tiny room that appeared to have not had any people living in it for many years. Cobwebs littered the room from top to bottom. 
His uncle led the way, swiping at the webs with one of his arms. I'm sure you'll clean this room up nice. This is the same room that your mama spent her honeymoon in. You weren't born yet, but I'd be willing to bet that you were created in this very room because your mama popped you out nine months later. Nick looked at the room a second time. Was it possible that his mother and father had stayed in this very room and conceived him? It seemed impossible. Yet he could see that the room likely was once very nice. With a little bit of cleaning, it would look nice again. Maybe he'd work on that after dinner. He was starving. Nick had no idea what he ate for dinner. It came in a bowl and appeared to be meat of some sort. The strange gravy or liquid that surrounded it was of a texture that he never had before. The taste was bitter, yet he found that it was easy to eat. He thought about asking his uncle what it was, but thought better of it. He really didn't think that he liked the answer. He spent most of the evening in his new room, cleaning it up while his uncle did God knows what. There was something about his uncle that he didn't like. He was a nice enough guy, and he was the only one that had any interest in him coming to stay when he'd been on his way to a foster home. Nick didn't have to like his uncle, but he did need to respect him. He owed his uncle because the alternative could have been a whole lot worse. As it stood now, he had a chance to go back to his mother when she cleaned up her act and turned her life around. That could be six months away, or that could be three years, or it could be not at all. As slim of a chance as that seemed, it was better than nothing, and all he needed to do was survive a couple of months with the guy. As nighttime started to fall, Nick went to his window and looked out through the slit in the plywood. The sun was setting in the western sky, creating some of the nicest-looking scenery he'd ever seen. It was strange how the light glistened over the distant swamp. He swore that he'd seen something like it in paintings or in photos that they showed in school. He decided that he wanted to get a better look at it than he could through the dirty, board-covered window. He wanted to go outside. He went to the front door. He grabbed the knob and twisted. Nothing happened. He twisted even harder than before, but that didn't work either. He realized that the door must have been locked, which was weird for living as far away from society as they did, so he turned the switch to unlock it. Stop what you're doing! his uncle shouted, moving into the room faster than any 80-year-old that he'd ever seen. His uncle placed himself in front of the door, pressing against it with his shoulder. As Nick backed away slowly, his uncle locked the door quickly and double-checked to make sure he'd done it. A look of relief spread on his face once he was sure that it was done. Do you have any idea what you could have done? We might have both been killed. Nick was both confused and scared. He slowly backed away from the door, watching the crazed look on his uncle's face. For the first time since seeing the frail old man, he was frightened. How could I have been killed? Nick asked, not believing that the words came out. He felt strange asking the question. Do you see them? Uncle Don asked, opening the curtain closest to them. He pointed out into what seemed like an empty yard. Do you see the fireflies? Now that he pointed it out, yes. He did see the fireflies. He'd been expecting something far different. Fireflies? Really? Nick asked. He hadn't seen the correlation. Uncle Don grabbed him by the front of his shirt, gripping the fabric tightly as he pulled him closer. The fireflies eat you. They eat people, especially children. It was strange, but it actually was something he'd heard before. 
His mother had told him a story when he was younger, scaring him. Later, he had gotten her to admit that it was a joke, but he had been afraid for a long time, and once in a while he would flash back to the story when he saw the bugs. My mom tried to scare me with that story, Nick said. Let me guess. The fireflies come out when the moon is half full, and they eat little children so that they can return to the moon and refill it. His uncle looked at him strangely. There was something in the way that he looked that was very familiar. Pain. It looked as though he were dealing with pain. Was something he said responsible for that? She knew what was going on better than anyone, his uncle said slowly. She lived through it. I blame what happened that night for her getting heavy into the drugs after you were born. She used it as an escape mechanism. I think that she blames me for what happened, forgetting what the truth was. She was always a very hateful woman, but I would have thought that she would have changed her tune after what happened with your father. What about him? Nick asked. The bastard wants nothing to do with me. Uncle Don laughed heartily. Him? Hell no. Do you mean to tell me that your mother never told you the truth? I knew she would never tell him, but I thought she would have told you by now. Must have been something to do with the money. What are you talking about? Nick asked. He was getting frustrated and angry. He wanted to know what was going on. That isn't your father. That's the guy that she hopped in the sack with a week or two after she found out that she was pregnant with you. Your mom was never the type to have people looking down on her. She got enough of that with the drugs. She didn't want people to know that she was pregnant and that there was no father around. She didn't want to raise a bastard child. People looked at it far differently back then. Nowadays, they have 13 TV shows about that at any given time. Nick stared at his uncle, a million things racing through his mind at the same time. What was he talking about? None of it made any sense. Your mom and dad, your real dad, came here for their honeymoon, his uncle said as he stared out the window. Your mom used to love it in this area, and your dad wanted to get her a fresh start away from the drugs. You can't get any of that stuff here, so they figured that this was as good a place as any to come after they got hitched. She would stay clean for a week or two so they could go back to Wisconsin and start anew. He took a deep breath. Anyway, I warn them, just as I'm warning you, about going outside after dark. It hadn't been happening for very long by that point, but I had to warn them anyways. I told them that if they saw the flicker of light, they would already be dead. Well, as is the case with most young people, they didn't want to listen to an old man, even though I wasn't as old at that time. From what your mother told me, she wanted to see the sunset. They went out to screw under the sunset. Pardon my description. Whether they intended to go back in before the fireflies came, I will never know. What I know is that when I found your father's body the next morning, it had been nearly picked dry. It looked like a pack of wolves had gotten into him, but we don't have any wolves in this part of the land. They're all dead, too. It was the fireflies that had gotten him, eaten him right up. You're lying, 
Nick said, shaking his head. That can't be my dad. I know my dad. You ever take a minute to think about how your supposed father wants nothing to do with you anymore? Was there a time when he actually spent time with you? Then the next he acted as though you were made of some kind of poison? Nick didn't have to think too hard about it. He remembered it very well. It happened during the divorce. Some guy in a lab coat had stuck cotton swabs into his mouth several times. He'd never known why the man had done that. Now that he was a bit older, and having watched shows like CSI and NCIS, he understood that it was a DNA test. The paternity of his father had been questioned. It was shortly after that when his father stopped showing as much interest in him, then saw him next to never. That had been the hard part. It didn't really explain why he still sent his mother child support. He would inquire about that when he got back home. Your mom lied to the guy that thought he was your dad, his uncle continued. She told him a lot of things. Guys weren't so quick to get with a girl if she was knocked up with some guy's baby. Nowadays, from what I see on TV, that kind of stuff happens all the time. Back then, it was shameful and wrong. She told him that he was the father, which I know is a big pile of BS, because her dad told me that she found out that she was pregnant before she met the guy. My dad's dead? Nick said, not believing that he was going along with it. Yes, sir, his uncle replied. It does pay me to be the one to tell you, but I ain't never lied to one of my family members before, and I ain't about to lie to you now. Nick snapped at his uncle. You're lying about the fireflies. I know that the story about the fireflies is only one that's supposed to scare kids that want to go out into the dark and play. It isn't real, just like your story about my dad. Nick, his uncle said, you have to calm down and realize that I'm telling you the truth, he pointed towards the window. Those things out there aren't really fireflies. They aren't the things you saw back where you came from, where their butts lit up like Christmas trees. Even after all of these years, I don't know what exactly these things are. I caught one once, big bastard with big teeth. Managed to get one picture before it died. Tried to show the body to a buddy of mine that works at the nearest college, but the damn thing had decomposed by the time it got there. Thing shriveled up in eight hours as if it had been dead for weeks. He looked at the thing, but he didn't know what to make of it. If this is true, why would you still be living here? There are thousands of places in this world that you could go and be perfectly safe. Wouldn't you be worried about one getting into the house and nibbling on your ear? It's never one that you have to worry about. When you get three or four, then you need to start running. Dealing with one is like dealing with an annoying wasp, except a wasp can't chew out a chunk of flesh. As for your question, I live here because it's the only home I know. I built this place with my bare hands back in the 50s and lived here with my wife for 30 years before she was taken from me. I suppose I could go, but this house is all I have left to remember her by. Every day that goes by means I'm one day older, and it's been one day longer since the last time I saw her. The memory starts to fail you after a while, and you start not to remember what a face looks like. Right now, I can point to that kitchen table and remember the look she gave me when she gave me a birthday cake. If I left, I couldn't remember that. If I left, 
I'd forget the rest of what she was like. I seriously doubt that, Nick said. You can't tell me that you forget something like that when you lived with her all that time. It's impossible. Do you remember that dog you had when you were little? Hell, what was his name? I think it was Star, wasn't it? Yeah, what about her? How much do you really remember about her? If I heard right, it's been five or six years since she died. Can you honestly say that you remember the way you used to lie on the kitchen floor and nuzzle up to her while she slept? Nick thought about it for a moment and quickly realized that he had forgotten that part. He knew that it had existed because he'd seen a picture where he had been sleeping against her. It was one of his mother's favorite pictures when she wasn't completely overtaken by the drugs. Now that he thought about it, it was one of his also. That doesn't prove anything, Nick said. I was three when that happened. Not all kids remember when they were three. As you get older, you'll forget about more and more things. First, you'll remember what it was like to be five. Then you won't remember what your first grade teacher's name was. After that, you won't remember much about what it was like to be a kid. A few years later, the name of the first girl that you kissed will be a distant memory. Kid, it keeps going until you get to my age. Now, I barely remember what I have for breakfast. What memories I have left, I want to keep and will do whatever I can to keep it. The fireflies weren't here when I came here. They came later. They're the reason why I brought you here. What are you talking about? You're going to help me exterminate them. There you have it. That was Fireflies Part 1. As I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this story came to be because I had remembered something my uncle had told me. Not my great uncle, not an 80-year-old man, but my uncle who... Surprising wasn't that much older than me when I was when I was seven. He was probably like 15, 16 at the time. And he had this tall tale about well, it came when we were we were coming to our house and he was with us for some reason. And he we see all the fireflies and me and my brothers were all, oh, look at that. And he says, Well, you know where the fireflies come from, right? And of course, being and I think I said before seven or so. No, I was even younger, probably like five, four. And my brothers, I remember, being, were really tiny. And he says to me, well, the fireflies, they come from the moon. When the moon is half or a quarter, it, they need to refill the moon. So the fireflies come down and they, they chew on little kids who are out at night and they bring up the what they get from the kids to the moon. And... That scared the crap out of me. Scared the crap out of my brothers. They don't seem to remember it. I've actually brought it up to them, and they don't seem to remember that story, but I remembered it, and it randomly hit me about, probably about two years ago, just sitting there. I woke up in the morning, and I was sitting at my kitchen table and just thinking, all of a sudden, it's like, whoa, I remember this, and I decided I'm going to sit down, and I'm going to write something about it, and I wanted to do something kind of similar to the original story that he had, and then I came up with a totally different way to go about it, and that's where this story comes from. And you got two more parts that you get to listen to before we are done. And part two will be next week. Part three, of course, will be the week after. And then I think we take a week off before we get into the next story. 
So only a few things to touch on, doing a lot of editing for things coming up. We're still working on a new story. and But the big news is actually I, I've been talking about my hip over the course of well, the last two, three months or so. And so the hip thing has pretty much been resolved. Had the MRI in the last month. And it turns out that that had, that the, well, the hip is torn, but it's like a really tiny, like under four millimeter tear. So nothing too significant, nothing to the point where they feel as if they need to have surgery. So I'm continuing my rehab. I have dropped only about five pounds, even though it looks as if I've dropped about 15 pounds. So I guess that's a good thing. I'm seeing muscles now in places I've never had it in my entire body life and it's kind of weird but anything I can do to make my body feel better and me be able to go back and do my job my day job as good as I can is always a welcome thing and that's what I'm doing I am walking without a limp for the first time in who probably at least six seven months so that's a good sign just a little ways to go and I should be well, back to normal with a small tear in my hip, <laughs> but it, it's doing pretty good, so I, I can't complain. So that's going to do it for this episode. You know all the places you can go and check me out. I have redesigned, well, some of the pages on goingpostalpublishing.com. I have streamlined the look a little bit and made it a little bit more presentable rather than that clustered design I had before where it looked pretty decent when I first started working on it and then kind of just kept cluttering things on there. Oh, I'm going to throw this here. I'm going to throw this here. Oh, that doesn't look right. Let's do this. And eventually it became a mess and I didn't even want to play with it at all. I didn't want to do anything. I didn't want to update it. So finally I sat down and I decided I'm going to streamline this thing. I'm going to update it. I'm going to make it look more presentable. And so I have. I have about three or four pages done right now. I will continue to work on them and get them looking even nicer and get the rest of them done and start adding a few new things that I have in mind, but I want to get them all redesigned first. That's the important thing. You can contact me, ask me questions by emailing me at goingpostalpublishing at gmail.com. Send me your questions, your comments, your cheap shots. If you want to see what I'm talking about on Facebook, you can go to facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. A lot of that stuff ends up also on Twitter. That's twitter.com slash goingpostalpub. If you do shopping on Amazon while you're on goingpostalpublishing.com, you can click on the Amazon banner, go to Amazon, make your purchase, and a little bit of kickback comes to me that allows me to do fun things like properly designing web pages as well as the audio and different equipment that I use. Every penny that I get from that will go back into the podcast or the books in some way. It will not go up my nose. I promise. Okay, that was my lame attempt to sound as if I have a drug habit. It doesn't sound so well when you listen back to it on audio. So that's going to do it for this week. Thank you for going postal with me. I'll be back next week with part two of Fireflies. Stay tuned. And of course, take care and bye-bye. Updates about Christopher Chapman, his stories, 
and future podcast happenings, be sure to go to goingpostalpublishing.com. If you want to follow along on Twitter, twitter.com slash goingpostalpub, or like them at facebook.com slash goingpostalpublishing. This podcast is copyright 2012, Going Postal Publishing. 